With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. This is Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast in Marquette, Michigan. At the moment, I'm Ryan Marine. John DeGeese joining me from Chicago. John, what uh, what's going on with you? Ready to talk some sports car racing on the program once again? Yeah, looking forward to it. we got some news to get to. We've got an interview with Tommy Milner from Corvette Racing a little bit later in the show as well. We'll wrap things up by looking ahead to the weekend to come with IMSA Racing at Detroit. We've got the Le Mans Test Day coming up as well as the sports car racing world's attention starts to shift over to France in the build-up to the 24 Hours of Le Mans. But before we dive into all of that, did want to briefly mention some racing from over the weekend. It wasn't terribly busy from a sports car racing perspective, but did want to mention Scuderia Praha with another win in the 24 Hours Series European Championship. Doing so on home soil over the weekend, it's already their third win of the season in that championship, so congratulations to them. Other results, in addition to results from that race, can be found in our weekly racing roundup. Uh, We've got Super GT and GT Open in there, all of which can be found at sportscar365.com. But with that, let's get to the news, and uh, as usual, it seems like we're talking hypercar to kick off the news segment of the show little bit more has come out and come to light thanks to some of your reporting, John. Where do we stand on what we know about the direction for the top class for the WEC as Le Mans looms? Can we expect some kind of formal announcement or at least some kind of guiding principles for where this might be headed uh, when we get to June? Yeah, I think that's the best 100% factual truth we can actually guarantee right now that there will be some form of an announcement, some form of confirmation of what the next generation prototype regs for 2020 2021 will look like. Um, that will come at the Lama Week during the annual press conference. Um, ironically, that day is also a FI World Motorsport Council. Um, day that usually approves um, certain changes to calendars and, and whatnot. So um, we'll the World Council will meet, I think, earlier in that day to approve whatever will be announced later that morning um, by the FIA or, or vice versa. I don't know the exact timing on, on Friday. But, um, yeah, what we've heard in recent weeks, obviously there was a meeting on May 16th, um, an FIA technical group meeting to sort of, you know, figure out between the manufacturers and stakeholders what's next it was pretty clear that what the uh, aco and fia proposed back in march of a production-based hypercar mixed it into prototype-based hypercars and grandfathered lmp1s and maybe some other types of cars it, that whole thing didn't seem to really be working we didn't have a single manufacturer commit um, toyota was already complaining the only manufacturer that's really committed more or less you know that that's in continual dialogue that has a desire to continue, they were complaining and had some harsh words for the FIA and ACO on the delay in the finalization of the regs. We know they were proponents of a prototype-based hypercar platform as they don't have a, they don't have, don't currently have a road car-based hypercar in their lineup of production cars. So um, based on that, we also know um, that there were some manufacturers that put forth the idea of GTE+, Plus. Um, something we reported on uh, earlier in the month that 
um, basically an upstaged GTE car with additional power arrow, um, reaching lap times around 330. Um, although we understand that's been put on the back burner for now, at least in the discussions. Um, DPI apparently was mentioned as well in, the, in some of the meetings, but that doesn't appear to be happening for the time being as well. I think that's clear for, for us to say nothing is set in stone. This is all just based on what we've heard from various discussions. And I, I believe all of the people involved in these meetings were told not to talk to the media. So the, the little bits of information we're getting is is barely anything. And we're trying to do the best with what we can get. Um, it's our understanding that it looks like the general consensus is that we'll be headed towards a prototype-based hypercar formula um, that's somewhat similar to what was announced in December, but with less of a, a power, more aero on the car, and then also a significantly smaller hybrid system that would be mounted on the front wheels of the car, and it could only be activated at speeds over 120 kilometers an hour. Um, that's from what we understand based on multiple sources. Um, that could change. That's uh, Who knows if that's far from being final, but at least that's the latest of what we believe is in the works here for the, this next set of regs. Do you get the sense that there are manufacturers waiting to jump on board when these regs are announced? I think Toyota would jump on board, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them commit when these regs are announced at Le Mans. Um, in terms of other manufacturers, OEMs, I honestly don't see any right now on the immediate horizon. Um, we've been through the regular circle of Aston Martin and McLaren and um, uh, uh, Ferrari and, and Ford. Um, based on these set of regs, I don't see Ford committing. Um, Ferrari, who knows? Aston Martin has been saying a lot of things lately, but I don't think they have the money to do it unless they have a significant backer. Um, rumor is Red Bull may be interested in doing something like that. So there could be a possibility, but maybe it's something for year two, a season two, because I, I don't think you can get something ready this quickly. Um, we've heard that Toyota's actually already been designing a car based on the initial regs released in December. So that could feasibly put them on the grid with the new car next season. Um, and then you have the privateers, um, Baikalis and Glickenhaus, who both ironically were not invited to this meeting, we understand. It was just OEMs, and um, we don't know where those projects currently stand. Glickenhaus confirmed via Facebook that they're all 100% a go, they're moving forward, they're fully committed, but I, I, you know, let's sort of wait and see what is actually going to be announced from the ACO and FIA next month. It has to be noted that this will be the third separate announcement effectively for the same generation of regulations. We were there at Le Mans a couple of years ago when something completely different was announced, and then Hypercar was unveiled last year, and here we go again. Time number three, uh, will the third time be the charm? Well, it better have to be because <laughs> if there isn't, I don't think there's going to be anything for the top class. Yeah. Um, you know, sure, you can continue to run the non-hybrids, and we may have a few more on the grid next year, next season, with Janetta's potentially being in, in place. But it's not going to be a compelling show just to see a couple non-hybrids. Toyota's not committed past next season with their TSO 5.0 hybrid. And then, you know, we're losing BMW. We'll be talking about that more on the show, I think. Um, and Ford's gone at the end of the year as well. And all of a sudden, you're losing all these OEMs. And how does this become a sustainable championship if you don't actually have a rule set with OEMs racing, especially at the top class. 
Yeah, speaking of OEMs, you made mention of it. Uh, BMW had been long rumored that this uh, the WEC program for their M8 GTE would be most likely a one-and-done. Uh, we've been reporting on that for a while here with the Super Season. They, they, they now made that official. They will continue to race the car in IMSA, but uh, with the announcement that they will be withdrawing from the WEC after this, this season wraps up at Le Mans, what are the implications of this, and ultimately why did BMW elect to pull the plug? Yeah, it was an interesting thing because I think it all sort of came to light, at least from my perspective, in the middle of the Rolex 24 this year, when I had a, a great chat with BMW Motorsport Director Jens Marquardt, and I think it was during like the early morning stages where the cars were going, you know, spinning out of control, there was a red flag, and Jens was looking at the screen, and I was looking, thinking, oh, we stayed, this race is a mess, you know, and who would know three hours later they would end up being in the victory lane there with that unbelievable effort by Augusto Farfus in the closing stages of the race. But um, Jens had told me there that the WEC program had been under evaluation. And that came as a bit of a shock to me because I, I thought it was a multi-year program. I thought they were, you know, fully in, in the, the WEC. First off, he explained that when they made the commitment, it was this, there was no super season. It was calendar year seasons. So they basically had to do the same thing that Ford did with merging two year a two-year commitment into a one-season commitment via the, 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 the schedule of the super season. So that did one thing, you know, that sort of affected this one-and-done situation from BMW. But also for what he brought up, it was sort of the disappointment in the the BOP and also the disappointment in the marketing um, within WEC. They they were sort of unhappy with the reach that the championship had at other races um, outside of Lama, um, you know, going to some places like in, in Japan or Bahrain or, or Fuji. They weren't compelling markets for the brand. Um, and I think that they didn't get much return on, on what they were expecting uh, that to be, especially not having a competitive car under the automatic BOP system. So um, I would have to say it's a combination of things. But like you said, it didn't come as any surprise. I, I was actually told the internal decision was made as early as mid-February um, that they weren't returning. So um, there was some time, you know, on the table here and um, of course they could have made a reversal choice you know up until the last minute that the deadline for entries was may 21st but um i think this was sort of you know sort of waiting in the wings and uh for sure a disappointment because it, it you know you lose two more cars in wec also there's a lot of question marks over if there's going to be any fords on the grid in gte pro for sure no factory fords but i i know there's an effort for multimatic to have at least a couple cars there um sort of as a semi-works or, or privateer effort but um the gte pro we see today is definitely not going to be the one we'll be seeing next season and that has implications for the championship. We've seen the manufacturer exodus, unfortunately, from LMP1. Now it's happening in GTE as well. Um, what what do you make of this? Does this show some signs of fault lines uh, within the series, or, or should we maybe not put too much uh, notice into the the implications of uh, of the BMW and Ford pulling out of GTE Pro? Well, I think they're all for different reasons. So, you know, BMW, like we covered, you know, maybe BOP marketing wise, um, Ford, it was always their plan to do a four year program. There was obviously an option to extend that. They elected not to, but they also elected not to an IMSA. So I think that says 
that's like no disrespect to WEC there. Sure. I don't think that's anything that WEC could have controlled. Um, in terms of LMP1, that's another totally different story in terms of the just uh, crisis they have right now and trying to determine what the regulations will be. And um, I'm sure that doesn't make the GTE manufacturers very excited either. You know, if they don't know what's happening up top, where the majority of the fans will be tuning in for, you know, what the main hooks will be to, uh, for growing the championship, you know, that doesn't make it very encouraging to continue GTE programs as well, for sure. But, um, yeah, it, it's they're in a real tough situation. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the World Touring Car Championship from a few years ago when we sort of started seeing uh, manufacturers drop left and right, and that ultimately dissolved into a, uh, a new set of regulations under TCR. And now it's a World Touring Car Cup, which ain't, it isn't half bad. You know, it's it's turning into a, a quite a interesting championship, and you know, they, they go all around the world. But you know, it's not what WTCC used to be. So it makes you wonder that if they can't get these hypercar regs sorted, or something you know is not in place, you know by august september of this year you know they may have to go to a plan b a plan c a plan d and and maybe even turn this championship into something more of a a a cup you know where you have uh some different regulations in 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 the in the top class and 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 you know sort of evolve it back into a world championship later i don't know It's, it's pure speculation i really hope that the WEC can continue, but it's definitely a, a tough time from a manufacturer standpoint. Um, car count wise, I think it's looking good. There's there's um, at least a, I think the same number of cars on the grid for next season, thanks to a lot of um, privateer entries uh, in LMP2 and potentially a few more in LMP1. But at the end of the day, you need the factories in order to really um, have the series be in the limelight. And one potential piece of good news. Uh, from the privateer side of things, is the fact that Janetta has been quite public here recently about their continued push to get back on the LMP1 grid, looking to return in 2019-2020. What do you make of it, John, that uh, they're continuing to be public about their intentions of being back on the grid and the fact that they have been out testing, although we have not seen them in a competitive environment since the uh, the race at Le Mans last year? Yeah, and I think the, what's factual is that since the entry deadline was May 21st, they sort of had to put entries in, you know, hoping that it would materialize maybe by some for some customer teams later on because they ran out of time to secure those customer agreements. So the factory has effectively entered two uh, Janetta uh, AERs for uh, the coming season. We understand that if they don't get any customers to to run the program, they'll most likely run one car on their own on behalf of Team LNT. But uh, that was also on the cards earlier this season, and that never materialized either. So I, I think it's good news that the car is on track. We've heard that you know they've been pretty quick in, in testing. Um, we'll have to see how it all materializes. But um, with LMP1, you know, with WEC being the only place to run an LMP1 car, um, Janetta's options are extremely limited, and it really is a no-brainer for them to put themselves in this position now to at least hopefully gain some entries and then maybe get some customers on board in, in the coming months before the season starts. Yeah, really hoping for the best there. They were great-looking cars, and 
uh, like to see what, what kind of potential that they might have to unlock. So hopefully we do see them back on the grid. Finally, in our news segment here, John, uh, Porsche has been out working, trying to get its next generation of RSR ready to go, and we've got a couple of sneaky folks out there getting us some spy shots. What do you make of what we've seen? Yeah, this car officially first I think broke cover back in September, uh, testing at their at their track in Wysock, and it looked a really strange at the time because they had some uh, some flares on the side of the of the of the car um, d- dealing with the exhaust. I think they were working on the the pl- exact placement of the exhaust now their side um, exhaust pipes now instead of in the rear. So now we get to see the car a little bit more developed. Um, Sound-wise, based on what the trackside photographers have said at Monza, they say it sounds like a turbo. I'm still hearing it's a normally aspirated. Um, I believe they're still on that path. But um, this is definitely an upgrade over what we currently see with the 911 RSR. Um, some reshaped um, profile you know, bodywork pretty much all around. Still looks like a 911 at heart. It's based on the 992 platform road going platform that was launched this year so it basically just puts the car into the new generation spec um but you know in typical porsche fashion they've been you know working this car quite a bit uh, over the recent almost a whole year now um in anticipation for its debut at silverstone um in september yeah, and you can check out the photos at the website sportscar365.com more on all the stories we've discussed on the website as well, plus other stories we didn't have time for on the program this week. Coming up next, we'll have a word with Corvette Racing's Tommy Milner as they get ready for their return to Le Mans. We'll talk some about the IMSA season as well. That's coming up next on Double Stint. Imagine a beautiful stately home in the heart of the English countryside. Imagine acres of grounds, deer grazing, birds singing, a perfect scene. Well, almost. Now imagine a collection of the finest motorsport-inspired Porsche road and race cars gathering together from across the world for one day only. Imagine hearing the roar of the engines as they lap the parade circuit. Imagine taking that closer look at some of the rarest and most sought-after Porsches on the planet. Imagine a whole day dedicated to celebrating your love of Porsche motorsport. Imagine the Rensport Collective. To join us for this exclusive event at Donington Hall on July 20th, 2019, visit rensportcollective.com and book your tickets today. Hey, I'm Patrick Long, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Corvette Racing's Tommy Milner, kind enough to join us now on the Double Stint Podcast. A whole lot of ground to cover, of course, racing full-time in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, but there's this little race over in France coming up, and it seems like a good time to check in with the Corvette guys ahead of Le Mans. It's always a big build-up for Corvette Racing, Tommy, so what has this been like as Corvette Racing gets prepared to take its program across the sea and, uh, and contest the world's greatest sports car race? Well, I mean, certainly sometimes I'd, <clears throat> I'd say it's uh, business as usual a little bit for Corvette Racing. This is now, I guess, the 20th year in a row that the team's been, been to Le Mans. Um, so the, the processes and um, the sequence of events that leads up to uh, getting cars and equipment and people all over to Le Mans is, um, 
uh, you know, it's been done before for sure by Corvette racing, but there's, there's definitely always something, something special about, um, about that buildup, about the process, the testing, the, um, discussions with teams, things like that. Um, simulator work now, um, getting prepared for the race. Doing the same thing year after year, you, you would you would think maybe it would get a bit redundant, but because this is Le Mans, does that same spark of energy still fill you when you think about the challenge ahead? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Le Mans is is a incredibly special event. Um, you know, it's it's an honor to be invited. Um, again, as I said, twenty years in a row now for this team, and um, I think it's eight now for for me in a row with Corvette Racing and. And each year it's definitely, um, definitely special. It's, uh, it's a race that everyone wants to, wants to win. It's a race that everyone, you know, feels, I think, privileged to be, to be a part of. Um, and so, and the history of the race and all those things together, um, you know, the buildup again of, of getting ready for this race, um, again, just sort of adds to the spectacle and adds to the, um, excitement of of going over there and and uh getting the test day out of the way a little bit and 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 trying all of the different setup options and changes and little details that we've um that we've uh improved upon from years past to see if see if those things actually um are are as good as we hope hope they can be and um and then and then you get to sit and wait for a week before you get out, <laughs> get into the, get into the race week. So it is, it's awesome. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's um, the fans, the fans there are incredible. The atmosphere at that event is, is something, something pretty special. So um, I think for, I think for most drivers and I think for certainly for us, the Corvette racing, it's something that we look forward to every year. For my money, at least, GTE Pro is the most compelling of the classes in the race, especially this year. But I feel like it's been that way for a handful of years now. Um, I know we're speaking to you before the test day, so it's probably hard to handicap. But do you have a sense for just how competitive the field in your class is going to be? We've seen great parity in years past uh, between the different manufacturers. Yeah, as you said, I mean, our uh, GT Pro is is incredibly difficult um, to be successful there. There's you have I can I think it's 16 cars, maybe 14 cars. There's, there's a lot of cars this year, <laughs> um, which which is which is great to see. Obviously, in some years, you know, we've we've only had maybe <clears throat> eight or nine cars in a class, um, and not that it's any easier when there's that when there's fewer cars, um, but. Uh, it's a little bit, maybe a bit more demoralizing if, if you're not having your best session and you look at the timing board and you're either not on the, not on the page or you have to go to, or you're, you know, down the list somewhere. So, um, I, I've said it year after year and, and somehow it continues to be true that the class gets more competitive and more difficult with, with each year. And, um, again, I think this year is, is no different. We have, um, we have lots of teams and car manufacturers now that are um, seasoned now with their cars and driver pairings, and um, you know, no, no new cars this year for anybody. So most or all the teams now have cars that they have at least you know a full year's experience now with, um, and and now the second year at Le Mans for some of the cars as well. So 
there's no there's no new car um you know uncertainties to 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 play a part in in this year everyone you know certainly seems like they've they've got a handle on their cars and um that just makes makes our our job that much more difficult um uh to, to be successful so like anything we always try and just focus on ourselves and and try to improve our car and and sort of not worry about what everybody else has done and worry about how much better they, they could be we just focus on ourselves and, and and try to 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 make the best out of our package and um again this this year's no different for sure but um obviously we always like to size up the competition a little bit and again certainly i think this year is going to be just that much more competitive, that much more difficult to have to have some real some real success. One thing that is slightly different for the Corvette program this year is you don't enter Le Mans as simply a one-off entry because the car has run with uh, with you and your co-driver at Shanghai. Uh, we saw the the sister car run at Sebring. Are there any benefits that could come from having run in other WEC events, knowing full well that the BOP for Le Mans is going to be a lot different? But uh, is there anything from just a technical regulation side or familiarity with the rules that you can glean from those two races as a program? Yeah, I mean, certainly any time that you, you know, for us for, as a team at Corvette Racing, as we um, – Again, we've now the team's been to Le Mans now for many, many years in a row, and um, <clears throat> it seems like every year there are some some rules changes or rules updates. And um, having having now raced at Shanghai and at Sebring, um, it just gives the the team um, that extra opportunity to to go through those those um, procedural differences between between IMSA and between the WEC. Um, so more experience there certainly is is uh, it. it is a good thing. Um, I think every year I feel like the team does a really good job of, pre- of preparing the, the crew guys and preparing us for whatever the differences might be and whether there are changes or not, they, you know, continue to just remind us again, what those differences are, um, how they've, how they've played out in, in years past and, and what the differences can be. And, um, you know, something that we do, I think, every year after the race we're 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 sort of focused focused in on again already on next year so um we've had an opportunity to go over any any of those procedural differences that may have caught us out during during the previous race and our previous year's race um so certainly any any opportunity to just to practice in those different different procedural differences um to the two series uh is just better for us for sure um but again i feel like each year we're certainly prepared for um, prepared for those differences. Um, but again, as I said, to, to sort of repeat myself here one more time, but um, you know, any opportunity that we get to, to actually in the heat of the moment in those, in those difficult situations to actually um, have to perform those, those differences, things like that with the slow zones and, and different safety car measures um, it's just better for us. So um, no question having, having done those two races, Having been on the on the on the WC tire, um, while we're on that tire now in the, in the U.S., we weren't last year. Um, it's just more experience on the tire, more experience in the, in, the, in that in that series, um, and again, that that can only pay dividends. Well, lastly, I did want to briefly touch on the IMSA season to this point. Uh, four races into the season for you, you've got the podium at Long Beach, but I'm sure the rest of the season hasn't gone exactly 
as you had planned. If you could summarize the, the first four races of the season to date, so what would that summary be? Well, I've already forgotten Daytona and Sebring, so that <laughs> probably is a good indication of how those two races went. Yeah. Um, I think overall, I mean, I think for, for us in the four car, um, I think we've been generally pretty happy with the pace, the pace of the car, um, pace, you know, pace of, of ourselves and, and, um, the work that we, that the, the crew guys have done set up wise and, um, pit stop wise, things like that. We just really haven't had a whole lot of luck go our way. So, um, mid Ohio obviously is probably the most glaring example of that. We had a, had a very fast car, um, you know, down to some really good preparation from the team. Um, you know, having a, having a really good, good race car in conditions that were pretty much brand new to all of us. And certainly it seemed like we had done our homework. Um, but obviously unfortunate with, uh, with the, uh, axle breaking there for us about halfway through. So, um, in some ways, you know, that's, uh, that's sort of been, been a good example of our year so far. We've been fast at times and just haven't quite, uh, had the finishes that, that we want. So, um, it's, it's something that, you know, having been in, been in sports car racing now for many years, um, something that, uh, that I know can happen. And certainly we've had some of these years where we just have these, these, uh, these unlucky spells and, um, feels like that we're in one a little bit right now, except that, uh, you know, I think for all of us in the four car, we've been pretty positive with, um, with the pace, with the pace of our Corvette, we've been, been certainly very happy, um, uh, both Oliver and myself with, with, uh, with the car. So, um, I think we both, um, both go into, and all of us, the Corvette racing, all of us drivers, um, you know, Mike and Marcel included, um, I think we feel good about, about the car this year, um, feel good about, uh, the changes that we've made in the off season and, and the testing that we've done, um, in preparation for Le Mans with simulator work and on track work. So, um, I think we all kind of are headed, headed to the race with, uh, with high expectations. Um, but again, as every, as every year shows us, you know, somebody, um, somebody seems like they, they find, uh, find a good step in their car. And we just hope that the step that we've, we've found with ours is, you know, maybe just that little bit better than, than somebody else. So, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, definitely exciting um you know i I've, I've said it a hundred times it's you know the racing it's fun to drive these cars on these racetracks but there's nothing like the competition um that, G, that gte pro uh, has with the teams and drivers all being absolutely at the top of their game there's really you can look from the top to the bottom there's really no weaknesses in our class um and while that can be frustrating at times if you're not having a good day um, when you get everything right and everything goes your way, there's there's really no better feeling than knowing you've you've beat some of the best drivers and teams in the world, and um, that's what that's what makes our class I think so exciting. It's what, it's what makes it fun for us, um, and I think it's what's what's you know the fans are sort of looking for in a lot of ways, a lot of variety, a lot of competition, and um, certainly I think this year at Le Mans will, will be another another uh, great example of of that close competition. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. We're looking forward to it for sure. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here, Tommy. Looking forward to watching you compete once again at Le Mans. Best of luck to you and the whole Corvette racing program. Thanks, Ryan. Hi, I'm Cooper McNeil, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. 
back on Double Stint. Thanks to Tommy for the time. Let's uh, go back now to a listener question before we look ahead to the racing this weekend. John, our first question comes from Masked Racer, who says, When I first started watching auto racing in the 1990s, my favorite racer was John Andretti. Now we see his son Jarrett do well in McLarens in Blancpain GT4 America, Prelli GT4 America as it's called. Uh, Do you know if he has any future ambitions at higher levels than this? Well, uh, I think the answer to that is yes. It's uh, really a cool story. Jarrett has the Andretti blood in him, that's for sure, because he's not afraid to race anything. Uh, He's been doing some sports cars. He did the TCR class last year. He, of course, is continuing with his dirt track uh, uh, operation as well and racing a lot of races on dirt this year in addition to what he's doing in Pirelli GT4 America. Just ran in the Indy Lights Series in the Freedom 100 over the weekend, too. So uh, I think the answer to that is yes. I know we spoke to him for one of our Pirelli Paddock Pass pieces at one point in the last six months or so, and he said he'd like to see himself uh, at Daytona at some point, maybe running a GT3 car or, or, or something more. He certainly enjoys his road racing, and he's been very competent so far in the McLaren. I think a bit of a surprise to some people with his pace, especially because he's going to be compared to Michael Cooper, who was signed as a McLaren factory driver. And I think Jared's pace compared to Michael has been uh, quite impressive. So uh, I, I would not discount seeing him racing at higher levels of sports car racing. I don't think he'll give up his dirt track racing either. It wouldn't surprise me to sh- see him show up in anything. His dad, John, was famous for r- driving pretty much anything he got the chance to, whether it was an Indy car or a sports car, uh, NASCAR, of course, and even did some NHRA racing. So I do expect we'll see Jarrett at higher levels, provided the opportunities fall into place. Finally, let's go ahead and preview this weekend, John, and uh, we've got IMSA headed to Detroit. No GTLM because uh, most of those teams, many of them at least, will be involved in testing at Le Mans. So, what uh, what are you looking for this weekend with 23 cars on the entry list? Well, while there's not much change in DPI, we see some adjustments in GTD, but this being a sprint cup, a WeatherTech sprint cup uh, only round, there's a few full-season teams that aren't actually going to be making the trip. That includes Riley Motorsports, FAF Motorsports, and More Speed. Um, this race you know, was uh, one of those events that IMSA put on the calendar as optional for full season entries they don't lose championship points from the full season and um it's a way to sort of save some money and and um you know the team's perspectives and somebody like riley for instance it makes a lot of sense too because you have ben keating and jerome bleakamolen and a lot of that crew heading over to lamar um and the test day weekend you know not having to make that you know crazy overnight flight to to make it to france early in the morning on, on sunday for the for the test um definitely makes it more worthwhile for them just to forego detroit altogether still we have a strong field of, of gtd cars 12 of them in total along with the 11 dpis um interesting uh little side note here is that zach robichon will be joining park place motorsports in their number 73 porsche alongside patrick long um, this sort of keeps Robichon's Sprint Cup championship hopes alive. Also, Pat Long's ho- hopes as well, uh, this being the second round of that cup, which kicked off at Mid-Ohio. Um, I think this was kind of a Porsche deal to sort of help, you know, two Porsche teams combine forces to uh, sort of get one car on the grid. Because if 
a Porsche was not on the grid at Detroit, I believe it would have been the first time in IMSA history since dating back to 71, since the first sports car race, that there would not have been a Porsche in a IMSA sanctioned race that had a class eligible for Porsches. Wow. So that would have been remarkable had that not happened. So um, kudos to whoever made that happen and got it done because um, we know in our previous reporting, Park Place was off the entry list initially. They were one of the teams on the sidelines along with uh, Meyer Shank Racing. And um, thankfully, both teams have committed to this uh, race this coming weekend. Yeah, that's a, that's a really cool note for sure. How about the Le Mans Test Day? A lot of uh, North American teams and drivers connected there. And of course, uh, really the eyes of the world shifting to Le Mans here shortly. And this is the big tune-up, no doubt. Yeah, a um, bunch of cars there. Every every car that's running the 24-hour will be present. Some extra drivers um, tackling the, the test as well. I think most notably Brendan Hartley, who's uh, the reserve driver at Toyota. He's going to be replacing um, Fernando Alonso in the full season role starting in 2019-2020. So um, Brendan got his first laps in the in the car in a test at Spa last week. We'll be getting some more laps, I believe, in both cars during the test day. Um, we'll also be seeing um, some cool liveries being unveiled. And um, I think as we're publishing this, you'll have the the link to the, the brand new Ford GT tribute liveries, which are awesome looking, all four of them, plus Keating Motorsports uh, wins livery on their Ford. So um, it's always an exciting time to sort of see the teams unpack, unload, get ready. Um, you know, the test day is always a crapshoot in a way because it's only one day, eight or nine hours of, of testing action. And, you know, it could rain, it, changing conditions can always impact things, but um, at least teams are there. They're starting to get going and, and really getting into the groove for, for the 24-hour. Yeah, a lot to look forward to, and we'll have coverage of that, of course, on the website. Same can be said for IMSA at Detroit. So looking forward to a busy weekend of sports car racing this upcoming weekend. John, thanks for coming on. Looking forward to seeing you in Detroit. Thanks to you for tuning in. We do appreciate it. And if you have some time, we would love a rating and a review on iTunes to help us spread the word about the show. But with that said, that's it for us this week on Double Stint. Talk to you next week with our next edition of the podcast. 